the way we work with the young adults is when you leave your you have your own security deposit your room needs to be exactly like we gave it to you like 100 and then not only that like the common areas need to be kind of revisited you need to go through the fridge clean it out throw away everything that's bad you need to do some common area cleaning so we've actually never had to take more than a full security deposit from a tenant what's going on guys this is the passive wealth strategy show thank you for tuning in this is the show that helps you escape the wall street casino and invest in hard assets invest in real estate today our guest is johnny wolf from homeroom co-living and today we're talking about the co-living strategy of investing in real estate it's a little bit like house hacking if you want to do it that way if you've heard of that way but you can do it with other properties that you don't live in if you don't know what all that means don't worry we're going to get into it it's a way to invest in real estate and potentially earn more of a return than you could by the kind of old way of doing it his company has created a, a number of tools that can help investors do this strategy and i think solve some of the problems that that might exist if you were to just go kind of do this co-living strategy on your own boom they've got a bunch of tools for it and they can help you invest in co-living real estate really interesting and i ask a, a few questions here of of johnny to, things that i see that might be problems or, or things that as somebody who hasn't gotten into this strategy here's some things that i think could maybe go wrong and wouldn't you know they they have something for it they've solved that problem and i i think that's great i think it's uh it's awesome that they're doing this. And if you are interested in investing in real estate with a new and novel strategy that, again, I think is gonna be more uh, more popular, more common over the next few years, we're gonna see a lot more of this, then this might be your way to uh, get in kind of on the ground floor, if you will. I think we're gonna see a lot more of it. And it's great to talk with Johnny and hear tools and strategies that they've put in place to help investors just like you invest in co-living properties. If you're new to the show, I'm your host, Taylor Lote. I'm a real estate investor, real estate syndicator. I buy real estate with passive investors and split the return. I haven't done this strategy and I'm thrilled to learn about it and help share some of the lessons that Johnny has learned through, along the way with you so that if, uh, if this makes sense for you, then you can move on forward. If you do enjoy the show, please take a quick second, go to the Apple Podcast app, leave us a rating and review, five stars if you don't mind. That's so much appreciated. That helps other people learn about the show. That helps Apple and their algorithm see that you guys are engaging with the content and enjoying the show. And I won't lie, it helps me feel good. I read all of the reviews and I appreciate it so, so much. If you enjoy the show, once again, you don't need to be an Apple podcast user to do this one. Go to your favorite podcast app, look up the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, hit the subscribe button. That way you'll get every new episode straight to your mobile device. Without any further ado, here we go with Johnny Wolf from Homeroom Co-Living. Well, Johnny, thank you for joining us today. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me, Taylor. It's been great talking with you and uh, I'm glad to hit record. I think you have a very interesting strategy that a lot of folks really aren't talking about and uh, can be employed by by many folks out there. But for our listeners out there who don't know about you, your business and what you do, can you give us an intro as to your business and how you invest in real estate? Sure. So I'm Johnny. I'm the CEO of Homeroom Co-Living. We're based out of Kansas City. And for those that haven't heard of what co-living is, we call it luxury apartment amenities mixed with roommate housing after college. And 
we found, you know, I found myself and my friends were all in this elongated, like after college pre-family stage. And we're all living with roommates like way longer than, you know, people had done previously. And so I, you know, I began investing in real estate in 2008, but it was in 2015 when I moved to Austin, Texas and started doing roommate housing and uh, did a number of properties there, was able to cash flow in Austin, which is pretty tough. And uh, then moved to Kansas City and just realized there has to be kind of a better way for this phase of life to be facilitated. And if you're not into, into living with studio in a studio apartment um, and you want to live with other people, you know, there's not a great way to do that today. And that's really where the co-living uh, movement has kind of picked up uh, the slack. And that's where Homeroom works. And we help investors uh, we're, the only, we're the only company to do this in the United States by properties specifically for co-living uh, and for roommate houses. Interesting. Okay, great. So first thing that really comes to mind, a question that comes to mind for me is how do you differentiate between the, the service that you provide and someone out there, you know, buy a house, put up an ad on Craigslist type of thing. What are the differences between, you know, your strategy and the more, I guess, kind of DIY, DIY type of way? Yeah. That's a good question. I mean, there's there's not that big of a difference, frankly, uh, what, between what I was doing in 2015 and um, you know in Austin by myself and what Homeroom does today. What I'd say is we've evolved it, and there's people in other companies throughout the United States and the world. It's Colibri is huge in Europe, and it's I'd say they're leading the the world in it in that movement, but. What Coloving really tries to do is bring all the pieces together. So we have monthly maid service and our maids grade the cleanliness of the property. And then that provides feedback. We have a framework for roommate meetings that happens every every quarter or more often. We also have an app in which you can do everything in terms of paying your rents, dividing bills, everything on, uh, on our app. And then you pay for your room specifically. You don't divide the bills. Everything's a fixed price and you can transfer from one of our properties to another with the push of a button. Everything is kind of uh, technology powered. So we've evolved a lot of what we, you know, I and a lot of the DI, DIY person is doing today. But at the core, it's really just affordable housing with other people around. And so, you know, there's as much as we made it more fancy, it's still more or less the same thing. Well, bringing technology to a, a somewhat tried and true strategy that, you know, folks have some familiarity with, but also bringing it into, you know, the, the 21st century. And one of the things I've always kind of wondered, or, or I suppose maybe something that I used internally to prevent myself from doing this back when I was, you know, in the roommate <laughs> days was, okay, you know, what if I buy a property, get a roommate or two, and then suddenly, you know, Mike can't make the rent and well, he's, he's right over there and he's not paying <laughs> me rent and sure. this is uncomfortable. How do you, you know, solve for that or, or handle that and make sure it gets paid and also, you know, you're living with these people, so you don't want it to be too uncomfortable, right? Sure. You know, and so that's, you know, house hacking in terms of like you live in your own property, you're the DIY, which I think is probably the best, one of the best real estate investment options out there. Uh, you know, I think it really comes down to just the basics of what makes property management operations work in any situation. And to me, that's like do on the second, late fees on the second. Um, and if and then it just keeps going up from there. And then you kind of hold the line. You don't necessarily need to be aggressive about that kind of stuff, but it's like every day you just get like a little bit of a reminder. And then on day seven, you get a notice on your door. And that's just, I think it's, that's, that would be tricky if it's like Mike's your homie from college, uh, for sure. Mm-hmm. So that that that's something that's a little different, um, and something that you you know you I think each person has to make their own 
like what feels right to them in that situation. But if it's, especially if it's someone you found off Craigslist or even if they live with you, it's like, you know, this is like the lease you signed it, just like you signed for an apartment and this is how it works. And so you just have to be matter of fact about that, not aggressive or mean, just I'd say firm and confident in what you're done. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, one of the things I wonder about is, you know, we can only, we only live in one property, property at a time, right? And we, sure. Presumably, we want to get more and, and scale up. And it sounds like, from what you're saying, part of your strategy is to put together co-living spaces to, to buy a property that I'm, you know, I'm not going to live in, but I'm mm-hmm. going to put together multiple roommates so that I can rent out, you know, individual rooms without having to find, if for in a college case, you know, four different uh, students that are going to, I'm going to find them. They're not going to find each other, and they're going to individually rent. Can you can you do that? Can you buy an investment property and do put that strategy together without massively, you know, giving yourself a huge management headache to to handle? Yeah, I mean, I think you can. I think you know everyone has, and I did right with with my individual properties in Austin, and you know I got up to you know twenty five roommates at a time by myself, and you know my returns end up being great. Uh, it is Austin, but also I was cash flowing in these really cool neighborhoods. I would say that if you can, each person, I mean, I think everyone has that's in real estate has different sweet spots where they feel right. Some people, you know, they really like apartment, you know, value add multifamily that, you know, they're great operators in that way. But in, you know, in our, in my case and other millennials case that have done roommate housing, it's a great option. We at Homeroom, you know, not, not trying to plug this, but we think that over time, the asset class of short-term rentals, which is like an Airbnb, where you can almost sell an Airbnb to somebody else now with that revenue profile. We think co-living properties are going to be that in three to five years in which you can take a co-living property, sell it to someone else, say, hey, the rent's not 2000 it's 2700 because it's a co-living property. So in which case, you start to get some better pricing for that property, especially if it's under management. Homeroom is building a platform today in which people can join the platform like Airbnb for roommate housing. So really we see that there, you know, maybe today it's difficult to scale this approach for individual investors. In the next three to five years, we think it'll be an asset class in and of itself. Nice. And one of the things you you kind of briefly touched on was, you know, being a millennial, you know, I'm I'm in my 30s. I think you're probably in your 30s. And mm-hmm. oftentimes we millennials are talked about still as though we're 15, you know, but, but yeah. many of us are in our thirties, sure. late twenties, I think probably even, you know, forties we're, we're not the young kids anymore, right? It's, it's sure. Gen Z. And when we're predicting, you know, future trends, we got to think about who's actually going to be influencing those trends. How mm-hmm. do you see the shift from, you know, millennials to Gen Z impacting the demand for these, uh, these types of housing situations. It sounds like it's probably good news. Yeah. You know, Gen Z, I would, you know, it's a little early to tell, (laughs) I guess, in some sense, because they're, you know, we're still very early in that the Zoomers are still kind of on TikTok in high school, most of them, but uh, the trends of more mobility, uh, later marriage, uh, delayed buying, uh, they're holding up so far. And, and the, you know, today there's 26% of young adults between 18 and 34 are living with roommates. And so that's like close to 20 million people, I believe. And so that already encompasses some of the, the, Zinia, the, the Gen Z folks. So 
the pool is huge already and the trend is not subsiding. We've just seen a linear growth in the percentage of people living with roommates after college over the last four decades. And it hasn't changed, right? So it's up to 26%. Now it was like 23% two years ago. Mm -hmm. Okay. Do you want direct access to passive commercial real estate investments, including apartments, self-storage, medical facilities, hotels, and even more? CrowdStreet has you covered. They provide access to a wide variety of commercial real estate syndications for accredited investors. Over 520 deals have been closed through the platform and investors have placed over $2.1 billion, that's billion with a B, in those deals. Go to PassiveWealthStrategy.com slash CrowdStreet to get started or click the link in the show notes. See the CrowdStreet platform for full terms and conditions of what they offer. Once again, that's PassiveWealthStrategy.com slash CrowdStreet to get started. Do you see any um, any substantial difference in terms of like wear and tear on properties and and security deposits? Because you know, in my mind, as I think about this, you probably have you know rolling leases. So you know, one person's lease might start in February, and then you know the other person's lease starts in April, and folks are just you know turning over as as need be. Mm-hmm. And I would imagine that would get a little difficult to figure out security deposits and damage and all those kinds of things. What do you see in terms of that dynamic repairs, security deposits, all of that? Yeah. Um, and we, that's, that's the question that we, we hear a lot. And I, and personally for me as someone that's owned single families, multifamilies uh, and co-living properties, the biggest, the thing that I try to avoid the most nowadays is a lot of cats and like younger children generally are the, I think those are the most destructive uh, folks on the planet, you know, all very cute and I love them all, but not the best for your property. The way we work with the young adults is when you leave your, you have your own security deposit, your room needs to be exactly like we, we gave it to you, like hundred percent. And then not only that, like the common areas need to be kind of revisited. You need to go through the fridge, clean it out, throw away everything that's bad. You need to do some common area cleaning. So we've actually never had to take more than a full security deposit from a tenant. The other thing is we find is that there's accountability in properties because the common areas are everyone's, whereas like no one's going to destroy their own apartment common area because like it's not just yours, it's everyone's. So we find that natural accountability and the monthly maid service that we have keeps the properties in like incredible shape. Uh, we, there's no kids allowed. There's no pets allowed. So to date, I, it's it's actually the average repair cost and the amount when we end up leaving a property is we've gotten our full deposits back from the owners, all that stuff. So that's actually, it makes sense. That question makes a lot of sense on the surface. But when we, as in our experience with the right processes in place, we've actually, it's performed really, really well um, in terms of like damage, like which has been very, very little. Mm, okay. Now, one of the things I wonder, you know, you mentioned a few like things like kids, right? And and mm-hmm. I think in the real estate, you know, kind of independent real estate investing space in which we live, people only really mention fair housing once they're being investigated or they've received some kind of notice from you know a body that hey, you did this and we're going to see you in court or something like that. Mm-hmm. And kids is a kind of can be a a difficult topic there. And sure. uh, we're not even talking about service animals or anything getting into that. And nothing on this podcast at any point in any case on any episode we've ever done should ever be considered 
any kind of legal investment or tax advice. But for this case, how do you, for your business, how do you handle something like that, like a, a fair housing situation when someone is looking at a kid? And these things are always probably going to be locally dependent, but mm-hmm. in a general sense, how do you kind of work that? Yeah. I mean, we just, our bedrooms are single occupancy and you have to be 21 and over. Like that's just our criteria. It's an adult, it's adult living facility and they, you know, are, legally that's actually okay according to fair housing. So there's not really any fair housing violations. We have, you know, corporate lawyers and all that, that kind of review that. Now, if we said like any, any age can live in a bedroom, then, you know, a kid could live there alone, but we don't allow couples or we only allow a single person per room. Interesting. So a couple presumably would have to rent two bedrooms and be of the mm-hmm. appropriate age to do so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Um, how about, you know, when you, when you're a, a tenant living in, in a house like this and, uh, you know, presumably you want to have some level of control over who else is in the house to a certain extent. Like there's, I, I think that's probably reasonable, but you know, how do you incorporate or, or account for the preferences of individual tenants that, you know, there's, I don't even want to name anything particular because I don't want to uh, bias the question, but somebody's moving in. I'm not okay with this person because blah, blah, blah. Let's assume it's, it's a, it's a reasonable thing. How do you handle that? Do you just say, all right, you can terminate your lease, take off or what do you do? Yeah, we have, um, we do video interviews with every tenant ourselves. One of the cool things about our leasing process, like 70% of our Tenants actually never see the property until they move in. Wow. So we do we do virtual tours, Matterport. Uh, we have a leasing professional, kind of like a, on a Zoom call, just like this. But then the next step in the process is the tenants actually that live in the property do a video call with the new tenant. And so they get to get to know each other and make sure it's a good fit. And so they can both opt out. So if um, the tenant's like not a good fit, obviously they haven't signed the lease yet, no problem. If you already live there, the rules are a little bit, you know, fair housing has to be you can't say, I just don't like this type of person. That's like not really how it works. Yeah. It's like, if you say, Hey, I really don't feel comfortable with them. Then that's enough, right. From our standpoint. And obviously it was long and it has to be a reason. And that's from a fair housing standpoint, uh, close quarters laws actually supersede fair housing in roommate situations that the roommates are making the decision. And so that's sort of the legal side that we're, that, that our lawyers say that we can use. Um, and, uh, but frankly, 97% of roommates that do the video call get accepted into the house. That's so not, a, you know, it's very rare that that happens. Interesting. Okay. I think that's, like I said, I think the the fair housing thing in particular is one that is just, it's, it's a big part of what we deal with as real estate investors Mm -hmm. and people don't talk about it at all, or there's not even a, I don't know, many circles, there doesn't seem to be even any emphasis on understanding what your local laws and regulations are so that you can Mm -hmm. remain within the bounds of the law. So it's important to, uh, to remember those things. How about lease terms? Is there flexibility there? How do you handle that? Yeah. So it's a membership subscription, right? So it's a living subscription. Uh, the shortest term you can have is three months. Uh, we do up to 24 months. Usually it's the prices vary. Longer you say, the cheaper it is. Uh, your subscription can actually be transferred to another property at any time. Um, obviously the fee would go up if it's a bigger room or something like that. And so that's how it works. Um, pretty, you know, we do three month internships. You know, most people do a year though. That's kind of the sweet spot in terms of price. And folks are usually looking to live longer with with co-living. Interesting. Okay. How about, okay. For the real estate investor who is looking at 
okay, I want to move forward with this strategy. How do you start or, or how can you, uh, your company, support someone who wants to get started in this space? Because earlier you mentioned, uh, just probably off the top of your head, you know, the rent could be 2000 but in this case, it's 2700 because it's a co-living uh, situation. Mm-hmm. You get more rent that way. How can someone start mm-hmm. to figure that out and see, you know, okay, my pro formas, how am I looking for properties, evaluating all those kinds of things? Yeah. So at Home Run, we actually have an in-house database in which we like may have gotten something from a online uh, <laughs> website called yeah, Craigslist. Sorry, I was going to try to say something that indicated that, but it, we got it from Craigslist. We basically scraped a lot of data from Craigslist to create a, a database there. And so we have kind of, we can point at a neighborhood and like tell you what the rent would be internally. And it's a tool that we're eventually going to allow other people to use. We haven't launched that yet. In the meantime, like you can just do a, you know, a kind of a, a quick version of what we did. Check Craigslist, check Roomster, check Facebook Marketplace. What are rooms going for? Don't look at the ones that look dingy or weird compared to the ones that look like nice rooms because that's who you're competing against. You know, and generally rooms go for a little bit less than you would think. So just keep that in mind and, you know, price fairly. And that's what people are looking for with room rentals. Interesting. Cool. And obviously I think, especially when folks kind of get started in real estate, they're looking they're writing a pro formas, all that. I think a common thing they tend to forget is vacancy rates and including, you know, the amount of uh, unpaid rent, you know, uh, what are you not getting? And you have to evict somebody and then it's going to be sitting empty for some amount of time. What are you seeing in your business for vacancy rates and uh, income lost to unpaid rents and, and all of that? Yeah, we've, we our vacancy, we're 95% lease today. So, you know, 5% vacancy is in our model. We oscillate that depending on the season of the year, you know, time of year goes up in January and February, but in the summer, we're usually at a very high number there. In terms of how much we've lost, we've been, you know, we, we, we're, we've not gotten to the scale where, where we've had to evict anyone yet, or, you know, we have, a, we have dozens of properties in, you know, 23 cities, but we have strategies where we do cash for keys and other things like that. So typically the room becomes available two days after someone moves out because the house is already made ready, right? It never, the house is never a problem. The room is pretty simple. So we can, we can actually get that taken care of pretty quickly. So the co-living vacancy can be less painful in our experiences because you'll have five of the rooms still occupied. One will be empty. You'll never have a full month turn. You'll never have to do the full top to bottom thing because you're always cleaning it. So it ends up being a little bit less painful, but you know, it's still definitely something you should have. Mm, okay. And for the most part, it sounds like if I'm reading between the lines, I might have missed this earlier. Their their rooms are empty, unfurnished. It's for the tenant to provide their own furnishings, everything. Yeah. Coloring companies do both models. We don't furnish the bedrooms because our average person is staying so long. They usually have their own stuff. So we offer, you can furnish it. You hit like a button on our, and we'll furnish it for an extra fee though. Cool. Cool. Sounds awesome. Right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. Have you ever wanted to invest in the private lending and debt side of real estate? You might find that going out and finding borrowers on your own is tough. When you find a borrower, you have the task of evaluating their plan all on your own. And the traditional way of lending private money highly concentrates your risk because you'll probably be funding the whole rehab loan on your own. That meant writing loan checks well into the hundreds of thousands of dollars, placing a lot of risk in individual borrowers and properties, 
Not to mention, there's a lot for you to know in terms of how to structure these loans so that you can help protect yourself and work with the borrower in your interests. Now, there's a new way to invest in the debt side of real estate that turns the private money lending space on its head. You can invest in a variety of debt instruments with this new platform with as little as $10 in each opportunity. You can diversify your investment across a wide variety of borrowers, geographies, and asset types. This new platform is called ground floor. They make it easy to invest in either your name or using your self-directed IRA. And if you don't already have a self-directed IRA, don't worry. They make it easy to get started and get one opened. Go to www.passivewealthstrategy.com slash ground floor to get started or click the link in the show notes. See the ground floor site for full terms and details of what they offer. Once again, that's www.passivewealthstrategy.com slash ground floor, or click the link in the show notes. Back to the show. All right, Johnny, I've got three questions. I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? Yes, sir. Bring it on. Great. First one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education? So the best investment I ever made, I moved, when I moved to Austin, Texas in 2015, I was languishing at uh, you know, like a, the headquarters of a bank in San Francisco. And I was like, I got to invest in more real estate and I got to do it in a city I like. I bought in Austin with a down payment assistance loan. I bought a duplex for 285 at appraised for 315. Wow. And, and, and I actually, the down payment assistant covered everything. So at closing, I got like a thousand dollars back. Sweet. So, and uh, yeah, so, and so that's, those are one of those infinite return kind of situations where you bring it into the table and you, you know, so for a long time, a lot of my net worth was in that single property. Nice. And, you know, by now 2015 to 2021, that's in Austin, you know, that's a probably a huge amount of appreciation if you still own the property that is. Yes, yeah, I still do. And yeah, it's, it's killing it, man. It's definitely, yeah, I got lucky on that one. Nice. Well, we had the best investment. Now we move on to the other side of that coin, the worst investment. What is the worst investment you ever made? Yeah. So I, you know, I, when I moved to Kansas city and you, you know, this is, I had been investing for years at this point, I was following the 1% rule advice. And I found this glossy four or not glossy, but I found a fourplex that had like 1.3% rent to price ratio. And I thought that was great. And it just happened to be not in the not, not even like in the hood, but more, I was like just further out of the city. And so what I didn't understand is like how important being in a densely populated area is for property management partners. Like, so this area only has three property managers. Um, unfortunately, none of them are good. Oh I have the best one. Um, I tried to manage it myself for a while, but a fourplex, they turn so much and it was just too far away. And so I lost, you know, I lost a decent, I mean, maybe I've broken even over two or three years on that one. But I think a lot of times as a young investor, you're like more, multi, the more units, the better, you know, the higher the the price, the rent to price ratio, the better. There's also like extra fees. Like I have to pay for some of the water. I have to pay for the trash. I have to pay for the mowing. There's all these things that kind of like sneak up on you with these sort of some of these deals. If you're not really underwriting them with as thoroughly as you should. Mm, interesting. And that, that 1% rule is, you know, it's not a bad rule, but it's not really a rule. It's kind of a guideline. And for the listeners out there, you, it's just a, a really a rule of thumb to put your thumb in the air. If the property is say $200,000, your monthly rent should be 1% of that or $2,000, which 
okay, it probably sounds good, but if you have very few property management options or you don't really know how to properly underwrite the expenses or anything like that, it can go off the rails very quickly. So it's important to get down into uh, the detailed underwriting and understand uh, how the property is going to go. Yeah, My- and, the, and the other piece to that is a lot of times when those ratios get better, there's a lot of reasons that there's not other investors sprinting to those deals. And if you don't know what those reasons are, you're the sucker, I guess, in that case, right? And so we're, we're pretty much trying to get people 0.8% deals, 0.7, something like that. But then the ROI numbers pencil really nicely because the vacancy, we have guaranteed rent for some of our deals, stuff like that. So you, it's really about underwriting every deal, understanding that a rule of thumb is only that and moving into more details as quickly as you can. So- Absolutely. Another one that I see kind of in that space that's as a metric that's kind of confused as a, a return metric is cap rate. We tend to see that more in you know commercial where I swim, but we're also seeing people use cap rate to kind of sell single families, which it doesn't apply to single families, but folks you know newer kind of can get confused and think, hey, it's a 10 cap. I'm going to make 10% of my money. Well, there's a reason it's trading at that multiple one, and you got to keep that in mind. So yeah, that's a, that's a great point. Buy high quality assets. You usually win with those. Don't chase cash flow. It usually has something. There's usually a reason for it. Absolutely. My favorite question here at the end of the show is, what is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing? Yeah, that's. I mean, that's that's an excellent question. I think the number one rule that I have learned is sort of finding really high-end team members and mentors in the specific skill sets that you're the weakest in is how you kind of uncap your, your potential and what you can do. So um, for me, that's sort of looked like I, I'm an expert in financial modeling, things like that. That's my background. But when it comes to marketing, sales, those things, not so good. So if you look at our cap table of our company, the most equity has gone to the people that are in the areas that I'm the weakest in, in terms of the advisory roles. They're helping me figure out who the right engineers are to build our software. They're telling me how to do marketing in a way that makes a lot of sense. And so I think it's, you can find help in areas you need that can uncap you and help bridge your weaknesses to find high levels of success. Nice. Nice. I like that. Great lesson. Well, Johnny, thank you for joining us today. It's an awesome business model you have. And I think folks should uh, consider investing this way if uh, if it suits you. If folks want to reach out, if they want to get in touch with you or they want to find your company and start evaluating some of these uh, investments for themselves, where can they do that? Yes, you can reach me at johnny at livehomeroom.com. And our website is livehomeroom.com. We have an invest tab. We made this video, a uh, cool pro video recently. It's two minutes. Tells about all the benefits we think to co-living if you work with us. Um, but if you don't want to work with us and you just want to reach out and ask about how do I do co-living in my city or how do I do this with my own personal house as a house hack? Those are kind of my favorite topics because that's how I started my real estate career and you know started this company. So always happy to kind of help people out with those things. Awesome. Well, Johnny, thank you for joining us today. And to everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. That's very much appreciated. It helps other people learn about the show. If you know anyone who could use a little bit more passive wealth in their lives, please share the show with them and bring them into the tribe. Thank you for tuning in once again. I hope you have a great rest of your day and we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.